So today we're going to finish up our series on the Sermon on the Mount. So we're in Matthew chapter 7. If you brought your Bible, you might want to turn there. Matthew 7. Uh, we're going to start in verse 13 and work our way through verse 29, which is the end of uh, the chapter. Uh, but before we do that, before we get into the Word, let me just uh, remind you that what Pastor Adam told us last week, that we've received a $15,000 matching grant. Matching grant means we got to match it. We have, we have to come up with 15000 to match that. So uh, it, the purpose of that is for us to work with a design firm to help us put together a layout on what the modifications we want to make to the South Auburn location so it'll be ready to get up and going and do what we need to do over there. Uh, so we, to do that, we we're going to receive a Heart of the House offering. On September 11th, we're going to give you an opportunity to give. And Pastor Adam gave you a great challenge last week. And this, this is what Anita and I are going to do. We're basically saying, God, if you want us to give, you're going to have to provide it. If you want us to give above and beyond the tithe, you're going to have to provide it. Therefore, we're expecting God to provide it. So we're looking for those ways that God provides between now and September 11th for us to give, and uh, we're excited about being a part of it. it. This isn't something I'm going to ask, we're asking you to do. This is something we're going to do together. So Anita and I are going to be given as well as everybody else, and I'm excited because I just want to see what God's going to do. Yes. We just sowed a big seed this morning, yep. and I can't wait to see the harvest that's going to come back from that. This is how you get a harvest. By the way, did you know that? You have to sow a seed before the harvest comes. You have to do that. This is the way it works in the kingdom of God. Okay? So this morning I got up, and one of the first things I had to do after I did my morning stretches, when you get my age, if you don't use it, you lose it. So I was getting my body moving. Then the next thing I did is I had to decide, what am I going to have for breakfast? There's two boxes of cereal down there in the cupboard. There's a box of Honey Nut Cheerios which is okay. It will nourish you. And then there was some uh, Raisin Bran Crunch. I got two choices if I'm going to have cereal. So I had to make my decision, and I decided to go with Honey Nut Cheerios. Had to make a decision. That's got nothing to do with my message, except you had to make a decision this morning. You'll make multiple decisions as the day goes on. If you go out to eat today at a restaurant, you've got to look at that menu, and you're going to have to decide. They don't want you sitting there all day looking at the options. They want you to make a decision, and you have to make a decision. True? We all make decisions. Decisions is a big part of our life. How do we make those decisions? This is what Jesus is talking about in the Sermon on the Mount here at the end. He's talking about decisions. And he gives us four contrasts, this or that. Let's look at the first one here. In verse uh, 13 and 14, here's the contrast. Put your thinking cap on. Jesus is talking to you. What's he trying to say? He says, enter through the narrow gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction. And many enter through it, but small is the gate, and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. 
Do you want to be a part of the many or do you want to be a part of the few? Do you want to go with the flow or do you want to go against the flow? Because if you're going to enter the gate he wants us to enter, you've got to go against the flow. The many are taking the broad road, the wide road, the easy way that leads to destruction. Now we have to understand he's talking about here about your life. Your life. Your life is important. And you only have a limited amount of time to live out your life. Some of us are coming up on the end of our life. We have lived a lot longer than we will live. Some of you, you've got a long time ahead of you. You can make some mistakes along the way and still recover. When you get my age, you can't make major mistakes and recover. Better not to mess up in the first place. I have to make a decision. Am I going to do it this way or am I going to do it that way? Alice had such a choice she had to make when she got lost in Wonderland. And she came to this place where there were multiple routes she could take. I could go, I could go this way or I could go that way. I don't know which way to go. I'm lost. I don't know how to get out of here. And at that time of confusion, a Cheshire cat showed up and spoke to her. She said, which way should I take? And the Cheshire cat said, well, that depends upon where you want to get to. And Alice said, I don't know where I want to get to. I don't know which way to go. And the Cheshire cat said, then it really doesn't matter which way you go. Where do you want to go with your life? Do you know where you want to go? Because if, if you don't know where you want to go, it doesn't really matter which route you take. But if you know where you want to go, where you want to be, 10 years, 20 years, 30 years from now, if you know, then choose wisely which gate you're going to go through. This is the, the route you take, the gate you go through, determines where you're going to end up. Do you see this? We just have to think, have to think. What do I want to do with my life? How am I going to do it? Many choose the wide gate because it's easy. And there's a lot of company. And all these people can't be doing it wrong. If all these people are going a certain way, that's got to be the right way, right? Jesus said it leads to destruction. Is that where you want to end up at the end of your life? With your marriage wrecked, your children hating you, not wanting to be around you? You got plenty of money, but you can't take a penny with you? Where do you want to go with your life? We need to think this through. He says it leads to destruction. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That is every one of us. There's not an exception. It doesn't do any good to go around pointing your finger at other people's sin when you get your own to deal with. The road to life is narrow, he says. The road to life is narrow. It's not very, it's not, you don't have multiple options. It's narrow. John 14, 6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That's pretty narrow. No one comes to the Father except through me. He's talking about every human on planet Earth. But what about, what about all those Hindus? Millions of 
of followers of Confucius? What about all those other religions in the world that have never heard about Jesus? Certainly a loving God wouldn't want to send them to hell. No, he doesn't. He doesn't want to send them to hell. They're making their own choices. He sent Jesus to redeem them so they wouldn't go to the default position. He doesn't want them going there. This is the church's marching orders. We've got to take the good news of Jesus because no one comes to the Father except through him. We can't just stay here in comfortable Waterloo, Indiana and let the rest of the world go down to the place of destruction. That's the default place. We've got to do something about it. So only a few choose the narrow road. Only a few. I hope you've already made that choice. If you haven't, I hope you think of this through. Because there's three ways to look at Jesus. There's only three. The first way is that he's he's a liar. He says he's the son of God. He says no one gets to the Father except through him. And it's not true. Therefore, he's a liar. Are you calling Jesus a liar? You got a second option. And that is that he was a lunatic. He really did believe he was God. And he really did believe he's the only way. But he's not. Therefore, he's a little bit nuts. That's your second option. He's either a liar or he's a lord or he's a lunatic. And the third option is he's Lord. I believe it. I'm going to step into it. You only got three choices. How do you look at Jesus? Because he's the key. No one comes to the Father except through him. So both gates are open. The wide gate's wide open. The narrow gate's wide open. Everybody's going this way. There's only a few going that way. Which way are you going to go? You see, it comes back to a decision. It comes back to a choice. We all have that decision to make. Are we going to go through the narrow gate or the wide gate? Then he goes to the second contrast, and they all kind of flow together, so it's not really something altogether new. It's, it's just part two of his parable. This is a contrast between the true and the false prophets. In verses 15 through 20, he says, watch out for false prophets. He's talking to us. We need to listen up to what he's saying. Watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing. But inwardly, they are ferocious wolves. By their fruit, you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruit, you will recognize them. The challenge here is he says, watch out. Watch out. Watch out for people preaching to you. Watch out for people teaching you the word of God. Watch out for these people. Watch out. Watch out for those Famous people on television preaching the word. Watch out. He didn't say reject them. He says, watch out. By, your, by their fruit, you will know them. Yes. And fruit doesn't mean how big the church is. Yep. It means their lifestyle. Yep. 
what they do with their life. It's a slippery road. Keep your eyes open is what he's saying. Inside a false prophet, inside, it's what's on the inside that comes out. Inside a false prophet, what, what is it that's inside of us? It's a thing called ego. It's a thing called evil, ego. So when he's talking about a ferocious wolf, he's talking about somebody with a big appetite to satisfy their own ego. And they want to draw people after them because that makes them feel significant and important. Rather than serving God, they want attention on themselves because it satisfies this big ego. Courtney, one of the biggest problems you're going to have as a pastor is dealing with your own pride, your own ego. Every, every pastor has to deal with that. It's the way it is. What's on the inside works its way outside. A corrupt tree, no matter how much you preach to it, no matter how much you pray for it, a corrupt tree cannot produce anything but corrupt fruit. It's what's on the inside. Just can't produce anything else. It's the way it is. It's down in the corrupt heart. A corrupt heart needs to be born again. Every corrupt heart can be born again. Unless it's got too big of an ego to want to humble itself before God. You see, most Christians don't even know they need deliverance. They think, they think this bitterness they have in their heart is justified. Sorry, your bitter heart is what's on the inside and you can't produce anything good with a bitter heart. Deal with it. A bad tree cannot bear good fruit. It must be born again. So what he tells us is to watch, watch. What we're to do is we're to be fruit inspectors. We're to inspect people's fruit. What kind of fruit are they bearing? What's going on in their life? We're not supposed to judge yesterday's fruit. We're supposed to judge today's fruit. So don't be condemning people that messed up 10 years ago. Look at what they're doing today. Because God loves to change the fruit of people like you and I. What is fruit? How do we measure that fruit? Galatians chapter 5 verses 22 and 23 tells us how. Listen up. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, which means putting up with people, (laughs) kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. That's the fruit of the Spirit. Do we see that in people? He tells us, watch. Be fruit inspectors. Evaluate someone's life. That's the the second contrast. It's the contrast between true and false prophets. But I want to go to the third part because now he brings it home to us. Because he talks about true and false disciples. Are you a true disciple or are you a false disciple? We need to ask ourselves this. Verses 21 through 23, he gives us, this, is, this is where he gives us the teaching. 
He says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? And in your name drive out demons? And in your name perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. This is is a little troubling, isn't it? In other words, to call Jesus Lord means nothing. What's important is are you doing what he tells you to do? You calling him Lord or is he Lord? Because the Lord will give orders and tell us what to do, give us instruction. We all have to decide. We just calling him Lord or is he Lord? Because Jesus said there's people who performed many miracles. Didn't we do that in your name? So working a miracle is not a sign of fruit. Because Jesus could say, I never knew you. I never knew you. I mean, we need to think about this. This is real instruction. I never knew you. But look at how spiritual we were, Lord. Look at the great things we did for you. I never knew you. You see, what he's looking for is relationship. He's not looking for our religion. He's looking for a relationship. He wants to relate to us. He wants us to be at a place where he can speak to us and say, ah, 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 don't do that. And we listen. When he can speak to us and say, here's something I'm doing. Would you like to join in what I'm doing? And we say, yes, Lord, and step into it. You see, the fruit of having faith, being a person of faith, is our works. It's our actions. It's what we do. We're called to good works, not to show off to people, but to submit to God. That's why we do the good works. Jesus is someday going to say to a lot of deceived people who thought for sure they were standing right before God, he's going to say, I I never knew you. Didn't know who you were. You never opened your heart to me. You never stepped into this relationship. So what we do follows who we know. Who do you know? Who do you have a personal relationship with? You have a personal relationship with your spouse, so you spend time with them. So you learn about them. You find out what interests them. Who has that kind of a relationship with Jesus? He wants us to spend time with him so he can speak to us. All right. I got one more. There's a fourth contrast he gives us. These are all choices. He's telling us choose wisely. Verses 24 through 27, he gives us this choice between a false and true builder, how someone builds their life. He says, therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice, you see, it's the doing. Anyone who hears it and then puts it into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down 
the streams rose and the winds blew and beat against that house. Yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams arose, the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. I don't want my house to fall with a great crash. I built this wonderful life of, my, of, of mine, because the house represents our life. I don't want to be at a place where I build this wonderful house and everybody thinks how wonderful Pastor Deal is and then crash, it comes crashing down because a storm came. Listen, there's a storm coming in your life. What kind of house have you built? Will your faith stand firm when the storm comes because it's guaranteed to come? Guaranteed to come. So the first guy built his house or his life on a rock, symbolic of something solid that doesn't shift, doesn't move. It's just solid. I want to build my life on something solid. I don't want to be like these Christians who change their philosophy. Their theology keeps shifting with every wind that blows along. Every time the culture changes directions, they want to change with it. I don't care how old-fashioned the preacher they call me, I'm going to keep preaching the Word of God. Amen. It may be old-fashioned, but it's also alive for today. Amen. It works for today. It'll carry you through. It's building your house on that rock that doesn't keep shifting. The foundation supports everything else. You can build this glamorous house, but if you built it on sand or mud, it's going to shift and crack and settle and be a mess. Build it on the rock. Then the other guy, he built his house, his life, on the sand. And sand is always shifting, you know. Always moving, never stays the same. Ever been to Indiana Dunes State Park? Those dunes keep changing. They keep shifting. The wind just keeps blowing different directions and it, it just keeps shifting and never stays the same. The world's culture is like that. It just keeps shifting. It never stays the same. But the rock never shifts. Amen. When we stand on the rock, the Word of God, the culture changes around us the truth doesn't have to change with it. Yep. Oh, but everybody will leave the church if we don't change. Yeah, some things you change, the word you don't. Right. Our church, since we began it back in 1980, we have constantly been changing. But we've never changed the word. Amen. The word stays firm. Amen. The word's the rock. Because there's a storm coming. And we must build wisely. There's a whole crowd of people building foolishly. 
I want to build wisely. I want you to build wisely. If I live long enough to have a chance to preach your funeral, I hope I have something good to say. Because it's hard to preach a funeral when you don't have anything good to say about somebody. I want to say something good about you at the end of your life. You know, if you want me to say something good about you at the end of your life, you better start now. <laughs> Choose wisely. Choose wisely. You have a choice to make every day. Choose wisely. You can eat all that fattening stuff, or you can eat all those salads. You pay the price for whatever you eat. There's results for your choices. You have to think about it. Some of us need to make some decisions about our spiritual life now. We need to think it through now. Can't keep waiting because the decision gets harder and harder the longer you play with it. Some of you in this room, you've said, Lord, Lord, Jesus is Lord of my life. But when the Bible clearly tells you to be baptized, you haven't done it. It's time to take an action step. Maybe you need to join a group where there's other people that can encourage you so you don't grow all by yourself. There's other people cheering you on. That's what small groups are for. We want to build community. And the way you build community is having small groups someplace. You could call them classes. You could call them a fellowship group, Bible study, whatever you call them. But we need to be sitting where the Word can encourage us. We can build support from one another because Lone Rangers eventually go off the air. I just thought of that. That's pretty cool. I better make a note of that so I can use it again. I know some people are saying, who's Lone Ranger? What's he talking about? Maybe you need to be part of the, the Discover New Hope class. We're about to start that up in September. It's an opportunity for you to learn more about our church, get deeper connected in the church. Don't just say, Lord, Lord, I'm a Christian. I go to that church over there. Act like you go to that church over there. Get connected. Get connected. There's all kinds of small groups. Just go to mynewhope.in. Look at the small group options. Read through them. Some of you are hungry for the word of God. Here's an opportunity to get connected in a Bible study. Some of you just want to get to know people better. Nobody comes up and shakes my hand. You know, how many times have you gone up and shook somebody else's hand? You see, you primed the pump. You started going. You don't run and hide and then criticize everybody else because nobody came and talked to you. We've got to build community. We all have to do this. It's a decision we have to make. Contrasts. We can do it this way. We can do it that way. Put your thinking cap on. Because your life is winding down. Time goes on whether you like it or not. You're getting older and we're all going to have to stand before the judge and give account what we did with our life. Now's the time to make the decision and change. So would you stand with me?
We're going to sing one last song. And I could, I could ask you to raise your hand if you want to make a decision. I could ask you to come down to this altar. I could say a prayer with you that you're making a decision for Christ. But by the time you get home, you will have forgotten what happened here. It's got to be in your heart. It's got to be a decision you make. So we're going to sing a song about making decisions. This might be a good time for you to make your commitment to God and let him know that you are deciding to follow him.